The Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment, or CADA, founded by the visionary Doreen Hills, is dedicated to providing innovative and compassionate treatment for those seeking profound healing. CADA's mission is clear, to offer driven, passionate, and cutting-edge therapeutic approaches that not only heal trauma, but also address the needs of the soul. They believe that true healing goes beyond symptom management and is about restoring wholeness. So whether you're an individual seeking therapy, a provider or therapist looking for training, or a member of the community in need of support, CADA offers quality and affordable trainings tailored to your unique needs. To learn more, visit chtainc.org. That's chtainc.org. All right, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support and inspire new trauma therapists just starting out on the trauma-informed journey. I do that with my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0, my online courses and workshops, and the Trauma Therapist newsletter. If you're a therapist of any kind and you work with individuals who've been impacted by trauma, I invite you to head on over to my website at thetraumatherapistproject.com. That's thetraumatherapistproject.com. All right, let's get started. So five, four, three, two, and one. Our folks, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Guy McPherson here. Very excited to have my guest today, Phil Goldstein. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So Phil is a poet, editor, copywriter, journalist, and content marketer. His debut poetry collection, How to Bury a Boy at Sea, was published by Stillhouse Press in April 2022. In that collection, Phil is the architect of his own unburdening, offering a rare and unflinching glimpse into the effects of childhood sexual abuse from the male perspective. Equal parts fury and calm, Phil's poems contemplate family, faith, masculinity, and survival, delivering a powerful account of recovery through verse, from silence and shame to healing and rediscovered intimacy and agency. Phil, um, before we get going here, share with our listeners where you're from originally and where you are currently. Sure. So I'm originally from a town called Suffern, New York, uh, which is about half an hour northwest of New York City. And I currently live in Washington, D.C. Okay, awesome. So let's um, just get into it. How did you get here such that we're talking on this podcast? Sure. Um, so, you know, I grew up in a pretty normal middle-class household, um, had a pretty normal childhood, but I was sexually abused by my older brother from the time that I was 10 to about 12 and a half. And I didn't, tell anybody about that for close to 20 years. Whoa. Um, and I started opening up about that um, after I went to therapy for the first time. Um, you know, it was actually before I was in therapy um, when I was filling out an intake form for a therapist where it asked, you know, have you ever suffered physical abuse, neglect, emotional abuse, sexual abuse? And I'd never been to therapy before. And so I, you know, in my trauma brain, I was like, well, you know, if I lie 
about it here. And then it somehow like comes up in our session because I was going to therapy ostensibly to talk about, you know, sexual dysfunction I was having in my relationship with my then girlfriend. Like if it comes up and I've lied about it on this form, the therapist is going to be angry with me, mm -hmm. uh, which looking back now is like a crazy notion. Um, not crazy, but it's uh, irrational. Um, and so I checked yes. And that was the first time I'd ever kind of admitted to anything outside of my own mind that this had happened. Um, and I brought it up in that first session with that therapist. And I said, you know, like, this is something that happened to me, but I don't want to talk about it. It's not, you know, why I'm here. And she was very respectful of that. She thanked me for, you know, being comfortable enough to tell her um, and trusting her with that information, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, and then she left her practice a couple of months later. And when she did, she was basically like, look, you know, I know we didn't talk about this, but in my experience, if you've been sexually abused as a child, it's bound to ripple out into your adult relationships, into every aspect of your life. And I would really urge you to tell your girlfriend and tell your parents. And um, it all kind of went from there. Um, you know, I did wind up telling. All right. Let me, let me pause you here for a second because yeah. I, I want to, if, if I may, mm -hmm. um, so you said it started at 10, went on for about two, two, two and a half years or so. Mm -hmm. So no one knew. You no, said one. Telling, no one suspected anything. You didn't say anything. Um, nope. How did you manage this? Uh, I think that looking back, I really, you know, I mean, physically, neurologically, you know, dissociated. Um, but I think that emotionally and in terms of presenting to the outside world, I really just compartmentalized and tried to excel. Um, and I did, you know, I was always really a good student, you know, honor roll, AP courses, all that jazz, you know, was involved in a lot of activities in high school um, and just tried to kind of present as, you know, this exceptional child. I think that looking back now, because I feared that if things did seem amiss in some way, then my parents and others would start kind of digging and mm -hmm. then they would find out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that my operating theory was, you know, I need to play the role of the golden child because my older brother was the trouble child. You know, he was the one who was not doing well in school and, you know, doing drugs and hanging out with, you know, the wrong crowd, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I saw my role in my family structure as being the good kid. And so that's the role that I played. So that's uh, up until what, seventh, seventh grade or so. Yeah. Uh, things stopped. How did this manifest as you got into uh, high school and, and, and college and beyond? Um, I think that, for me, it really started to manifest after college. Um, you know, I had 
my first real relationship, my first sexual relationship with a woman and, you know, things were going great. And then all of a sudden they weren't in terms of sex and I was having erectile dysfunction and, you know, it really became a big issue in that relationship led to the end of that relationship. And I honestly did not at that point consciously put two and two together. Um, and that happened quite a bit, you know, throughout my twenties, um, you know, with other women, um, and looking back now, it's, you know, very clear and obvious that the abuse, you know, was having some kind of effect on me psychologically in terms of, you know, sex and expectations mm -hmm. and, um, you know, performance, et cetera. Um, but, you know, that, that was really kind of the only obvious to me, you know, not obvious, but obvious um, to, to put it in a way, you know, um, manifestation, but I was never somebody who like, you know, um, did drugs or, you know, considered harming myself or anything like that, or, you know, didn't have trouble in school, didn't have trouble getting a job and maintaining a job. Um, I think that I was really compartmentalizing it mm -hmm. up until, you know, the moment at which I decided to talk about it out loud. Mm -hmm. First of all, I mean, let me just say, I, I, I applaud your courage in uh, talking about it initially. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it takes a lot of freaking guts and courage and strength to do what you did to talk about it. And, and then to, uh, write about it, which we'll get into, and then to come on this podcast. So I just want to say I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Um, so as you were as you were growing up, this was kind of compartmentalized in a sense. It was not something that you thought about or flashed on and just like shut it down. Or it, it's not that I was like you know because I've met. <laughs> other survivors you know who basically really repressed the memory and didn't have any memory of it until later on in life it's not that you know with me it's not that i like didn't remember that it had happened i just tried to really kind of shove it down and shove it aside and put it in this little box um and pretend like it didn't happen um and so that's, you know, just the way I operated. It's what I had to do to survive. Now, during that time, uh, post uh, the abuse, what was your relationship like your brother? What was your relationship like with him? <clears throat> uh, we were never really that close. Um, I mean, I think that we were really close, you know, as close as kind of a brother who's four and a half years older than you can be when I was a little kid, um, you know, but we were never really close because I just think that as we grew older, it became really clear kind of how different we were in terms of, you know, our 
academic and intellectual abilities and pursuits and personalities and things that we were interested in. And so, um, you know, we didn't have a particularly close relationship. You know, we were, it's not like we outwardly like hated with each other and fought with each other, but we just weren't, you know, super close. Like I have friends who have, you know, siblings and they are like thick as thieves and, you know, um, they, they love each other and are, you know, really connected with each other on different levels. And that just wasn't really us. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point you said 20 years later, which isn't really uncommon for, uh, when, when stuff like this comes out. Um, but it, you decided that you needed to say something, walk us through how that realization came about for you. I mean, I think that, you know, as I was explaining about my first experience with therapy, I think that I, you know, was kind of resisting pulling off the Band-Aid even then, even when I, you know, had admitted to a therapist that this had happened. Um, you Excuse me. So you went in for something else? Yeah. I mean, ostensibly, you know, I went in to try to figure out, you know, what's going on with me sexually with my girlfriend. How can I fix this? How can I address this? And, you know, it wasn't, you know, certainly not to, you know, um, head on address the abuse and the trauma. Um, and I think that it wasn't until that therapist, um, left her practice that I really came to the realization that like, okay, you know, like you can keep on keeping on as you've been doing and things probably won't get better or you can decide to do something different. And it felt incredibly scary. Um, It was terrifying. I was absolutely not sure how to proceed, Um, you know, not sure what was going to happen once my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, and my parents and other people found out. But I kind of was like, at a certain point, you know, there's no turning back and we'll just see what happens. And I mean, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, uh, foreground the absolute sense of fear and terror that I felt. And it's hard to, you know, go back there. Um, Mm. and just because so much has changed since then, but, um, yeah, I, I was very uncertain and afraid. So as you began this, um, can we call it a healing journey? You're, you're, you're sure. This process of addressing what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, did you begin to see a, a different therapist? Did you start telling people, sharing this with others? Yeah. Um, it kind of unfolded, uh, at first um abruptly and then kind of you know with 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 a little stumble and then all at once so i mean um my girlfriend and i were at that point you know seeing a couples therapist and the therapist who was leaving her practice was like you should tell her and then she can help you come up with some kind of a plan to tell 
uh, Jenny, who's now my wife, and it kind of backfired. Um, and because like I had spoken to the couples therapist once, you know, alone after a session and um, like later on that week, maybe, or a week later, um, I was alone with Jenny and she was asking me about that and was like, you know, what were you talking with her about? And I, you know, hadn't yet told her obviously. And then I just kind of, you know, she was, Jenny was pressing me as I recall about, you know, what was going on and, um, you know, it, it just kind of came out, um, and, um, you know, she was really the, the first person who I told outside of that therapist. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, then I started telling family members who I felt, um, close to not my parents, um, I should say, you know, I told cousins, um, and aunts and uncles, um, and those kind of folks. And then I told some friends, um, and what was difficult was at this time when I was telling people, and I'd also, you know, started seeing a new trauma, uh, focused therapist, um, was that my brother was getting married. Um, and I was the best man at his wedding. Oh my God. And, and so up to this point had not said anything to him. Not a word. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, and then the wedding happens and, you know, I do best man speech and kind of extol how great a guy my brother is. And then after that, um, my parents and I got into this fight where like, basically like uh, my brother had offered to like cover a small amount of the cost of his bachelor party. And I had accepted that. And they got really upset with me that I had done that and were like, you know, the best man always pays for everything at the bachelor party. And, you know, we raised you to be better than this. And what are you doing? And, you know, they're being so, upset with this at the same time i'm holding this knowledge in my head um that you know i'm gonna tell them about the abuse and it was really hard to kind of um square the circle there um and they were just really upset with me for months and months um and then eventually i told them in a letter um that i sent to them just because i felt like that would be the way the best way to get out what I needed to get out. You know, I felt like if I did it kind of over the phone or over zoom or whatever that, you know, it would just become too chaotic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really honestly very nervous that they were not going to believe me um, just because, you know, I had been reading about, you know, survivors not being believed. And there was this (laughs) ridiculous dispute about the bachelor party and they did believe me. Um, they were blindsided. They said that they had no idea um, and were just really in shock. Um, you know, but, and, and you know, and they said, you know, 
we're not going to sweep this under the rug. We're going to talk to your brother about it. You know, we're probably going to get a therapist. You know, they, they spoke to my therapist to try to kind of understand what was going on, you know, and she talked to them in kind of broad terms about, you know, CSA and trauma and, you know, what I've been going through and, you know, why kids don't tell, um, you know, the vast, vast majority of the time um, and things like that. And then, you know, they started seeing a therapist and they wrote me a letter and were basically like, are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. And it is 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. Going Inside is a new podcast on a mission to help you heal from trauma and connect with your authentic self. Hosted by licensed trauma therapist John Clark, this show explores trauma healing through the lens of internal family systems therapy with detours into EMDR, somatic experiencing, and much more. Tune in for enlightening guest expert interviews, immersive solo deep dives, real therapy sessions, and soothing guided meditations. Head on over to johnclarktherapy.com slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. Once again, head on over to johnclarktherapy.com forward slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. We're not going to, you know, we're, we're sorry that this happened to you, that this happened under our roof, um, you know, and we hope that you can find healing, but we're not going to triangle ourselves between you and your brother. And we feel like this is something that you should talk to him about directly. And at that point, uh, I just, I was not in a place where I felt like I wanted to um, or could um and i had really wanted them to confront him and they refused and you know that kind of set off i mean they they eventually did and he admitted it to them that he had done it but it kind of set off a you know reaction and a pattern of behavior that um was really harmful and not helpful to me um mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we can get into it if, if you'd like, but, you know, it's it's kind of led to the point where I'm estranged from my own parents um, just because they reacted in a way that was deeply unempathetic and 
was, you know, kind of like victim blamey of, you know, well, you should have told us and, um, you know, what do you want us to do about it now? Um, and, you know, not really at all interested in talking through how and why this happened, you know, why I felt like I couldn't tell them mm -hmm. all of that. What helped you or, or and or continues to help you in moving through this, in working through this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that for me, you know, it's been a couple of things. It's been the support of my partner, who's absolutely wonderful and incredibly empathetic and patient and understanding. Um, it's been therapy, which, you know, I continue to do, um, regularly. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, if I may, uh, Phil, what about therapy specifically has, has helped you? Mm -hmm. I think that it's, you know, initially it was kind of going through the memories of, of what had happened, um, and coming to an understanding that I wasn't in control, that this wasn't my fault. Um, and, you know, kind of understanding the dynamics that were going on in my family to help me get a better understanding of how and why things happened. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, just kind of giving myself, you know, grace and um, the love and understanding that I didn't have as a child um, and, and just, you know, really kind of focusing in on the knowledge that I wasn't in control. This was something that was done to me. I wasn't in a position physically or emotionally where I could, you know, consent to being abused. Uh, and that it wasn't my fault and that I you know, didn't tell anybody because I had to figure out a way to survive emotionally. And so I think that, you know, kind of going through those beats, um, you know, has been really helpful. Um, you know, it was helpful to be in therapy and have kind of an advocate for my feelings and what I was going through at a time when my parents weren't being supportive. Um, so that was extremely helpful. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, creative writing and, and writing poetry. Um, you know, I always was a writer growing up. Um, I wrote poetry when I was in middle school and high school, and it kind of fell off in college and in my twenties, but, um, I really returned to it as a way to help me process the very kind of messy, complicated emotions that, you know, surround this of anger and grief and sadness and loss and happiness and growth and healing. Um, and I think that were it not for the writing, um, I would not be, you know, kind of, where I am today in, in my journey. And I think that's a perfect segue into the book. Um, how to bury a boy at sea. How did 
the book come about? You know, so when I started the trauma therapy, um, this was back in spring of 2018, my therapist, you know, encouraged me to write because I had told her, you know, that I was a writer um, and I started writing some poems. And after I'd had about, you know, half a dozen to a dozen, Jenny was saying, you know, you should write some more, maybe like consider writing enough to be a book, um, you know, and maybe it could help people. And I really kind of ran with that and wrote a lot and um, had a friend of mine from college who's a wonderful poet um, herself, um, fantastic poet, Rachel Menes, um, edited the first manuscript for me. And then I submitted it to a bunch of presses and contests and um, it eventually got picked up by a great press called Stillhouse. And that was like kind of at the beginning, the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, spent the next year and a half really kind of revising and writing new poems and different kinds of poems that the editors there really encouraged me to write. Um, mm -hmm. And then the book came out in April of this year. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, have you been in contact with your brother? Not directly, no. He sent me a letter about, you know, six to seven months after I first told my parents you know, I guess it was his attempt to apologize. Um, to me, it didn't really come off as a very sincere apology. It was very kind of like, you know, uh, I was a messed up kid. I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. I'm, you know, hope that we can bury the hatchet basically. And I don't know, I've I've always found it kind of wild to think that like because you know at the time the abuse ended he was 17 uh, I I just find it wild to think that a 17 year old doesn't know that what they're doing is mm -hmm. wrong um and you know didn't really kind of ask me how I was doing what he could do to help me and I didn't accept it um and I think my parents got really upset with that and then He's, you know, sent me a couple of other missives that have gotten progressively more, uh, you know, uh, angry and threatening um, because, you know, I think that he very much wanted me to absolve him and let him off the hook and then just mm -hmm. kind of move on. And I didn't want to do that. So a couple of questions there. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think the very fact of... um. Uh, being a male and having this experience and, and coming forward, how do you sit with that? I mean, I, like I said, I think it takes a lot of courage. I mean, it took me, you know, I was bullied as a, as a kid. It took me a long time to be able to talk about that. And what, 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 what are your thoughts on, being a male and having gone through this and sharing this and being open and writing about it. I mean, you know, it was really difficult. Um, you know, I think that 
things are starting to change, thankfully, but I still think that there's a great deal of stigma around male disclosure of sexual assault or sexual abuse. Um, you know, just these really kind of uh, harmful societal notions that, you know, if this is something that's happened to you, you're not a real man, or why didn't you fight back? Or, you know, are you gay because this happened to you? And all that kind of, you know, BS, uh, you know, and I think that um, it's been really heartening to do kind of group therapy with other male survivors, um, which I did a few years ago, mm -hmm. um, and to hear from and talk with other men who are survivors and, you know, a couple of whom have reached out to me following the publication of the book, you know, to tell them that they, to tell me that they really appreciated the fact that I had written this book. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not the, the first guy to write a book, you know, or even write a book of poetry that, you know, deals with abuse. Um, you know, I certainly hope I'm not the last, um, but I think that the more that we can normalize discussions, you know, among men, by men, um, the less power that stigma will hold. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that is going to take time. I think, like I said, I think it's getting better. Um, you know, I think the the documentary um, Leaving Neverland, you know, about Wade Robson and James Safechuck was was really um important for me and spurring me to kind of post publicly, um, you know, on social media about what had happened. That was about Michael Jackson, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, those guys are, are fantastic. Um, you know, hoping to connect with them at some point. Um, you know, so I think that things are, are starting to open up and, and get, you know, more welcoming and accepting and understanding of men. And I'm not, this is not to sort of, diminish in any way, you know, the challenges that, you know, women face and have faced, you know, in dealing with sexual assault and sexual abuse, because, you know, uh, there are many, statistically, there are many more girls who are sexually abused than boys. Um, but I, I do think that in our culture, it is more normal to accept and hear stories like this from girls and women. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I'm hoping that that starts to change, you know, around men and boys. Is there a, a pressure on you or do you feel a pressure to forgive your brother? I think that certainly from my parents that was there, um, I think that they wanted me to forgive him and then, you know, everybody would hug and shake hands and move on. Um, you know, I think that they wanted it to be over as, as quickly as possible. Um, you know, there are some other family members that I think, you know, really wanted me to forgive him. But I think that, you know, most people in my life understood um as i do that there's a big difference between someone apologizing to you or offering an apology and you 
accepting that apology or you forgiving them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just different things. And just because somebody apologizes to you doesn't mean that you have to accept the apology or forgive them. Um, you know, it's, do you feel like the apology was genuine? Do you want to forgive them? Do you want to have a relationship with them? And like I said, you know, my relationship with my brother was never particularly close. So I didn't really feel like I needed to sort of go above and beyond to salvage a relationship with him because there wasn't a, you know, very strong relationship to speak of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting thought to me because sometimes you hear of um, uh, people who've had their kids, you know, killed by someone and the, the parents go into the prison and they end up talking to the killer and meet forgiving them is is it necessary for you to i guess how do you work through that relationship with your brother because i i would imagine and correct me if i'm wrong i mean i would imagine there's got to be some strong feelings there some anger how do you hold that yeah i mean i think that for a long time, I didn't allow myself to feel anger. And, um, you know, I think that that's pretty common for people who've been abused, um, you know, to see anger as not justified or something to avoid, um, you know, and I I certainly felt very angry um, at times, you know, especially in the first year or two after I disclosed um, in part because, you know, I I think that it was anger that I probably should have felt more concentratedly towards my brother that I was directing maybe at my parents because I felt like they were either taking his side or were not really kind of rushing to my side. Um, You know, I felt like I'm the one who's been harmed you know, you should be in my corner or try to empathize with me and see things from my point of view. And I think that they were like, well, you know, you're both our sons. And so we're trying to, you know, help both of you. And I think that that angered me because it's like, well, but, you know, what did I do? You know, right. I'm the one who, I'm the one who was abused. Um. So, you know, I think that in the time since then, I've, tried to work a lot on forgiving mostly myself for not speaking up when I was younger for, you know, feeling my feelings and for, for, you know, responding the way that I did and that I have, Um, you know, I don't have any real regrets about, you know, basically finally, putting my feelings and my emotions first, you know, for, for the first time in a, in a long time. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that the anger is kind of dissipated a lot over time. um, And I try to kind of focus on, you know, helping other people and, and, um, you know, kind of thinking about all the positive things that are going on in my life. Awesome. 
All right, Phil, as we kind of wind down here, um, uh, where can the book be purchased? How to Bury a Boy at Sea? Sure. You can either go to my website, which is philagoldstein.com. That's P-H-I-L-A-G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N.com. Or you can uh, get it from my publisher, Stillhouse Press, or basically anywhere, you know, books are sold, Amazon, bookshop.org. Just search for the title, How to Bury a Boy at Sea. Okay. We'll also have this linked up here at the show notes page at the traumatherapistpodcast.com. Phil, sir, thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, appreciate your courage uh, and it's an inspiration to us all. Seriously. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. It was great to talk with you. Awesome. All right, man. Be well. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. And if you'd like to join the hundreds of other therapists who are each month keeping up to date and informed and inspired about what's going on in the world of trauma, I'd love to invite you to head on over to the Trauma Therapist Newsletter. That's the traumatherapistnewsletter.com.